Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Local Line. Local Line is an e-commerce platform that helps farmers and local food suppliers direct market their products online, access new markets, and stay organized. Local Line has recently released a free prepare and respond resource guide for farmers navigating their business during the coronavirus. The Direct Market Farmers Guide to COVID-19 is available now through the link in today's show notes. Stay tuned later in today's episode to learn more about Local Line and their products specifically designed to help farmers market their products online. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Alicia Parsons Lushington. Alicia grew up in rural Nova Scotia surrounded by chickens, horses, dairy cows, honeybees, gardens, and woods. She attended the Nova Scotia Agricultural College, first with the thoughts of becoming a vet, but was soon distracted by the world of plants and pest management. Alicia currently lives in the Muscotaboy Valley of Nova Scotia on a 100-acre homestead with her husband and their nine-year-old son. Alicia is also the chairperson of her local community hall. She and her husband, Donnie, work with a dedicated team of volunteers to provide a space for the community to gather and valuable programming for rural families. Her determination to preserve and improve rural lifestyle for today and the future make this an ongoing labor of love. You guys, I am so excited for you to hear all about Alicia's story and their amazing community hall over in the Muscotaboy Valley of Nova Scotia. And yes, you guys, I did have to Google this a thousand times to make sure I was saying this somewhat properly. So I apologize for the people of Nova Scotia if my Alberta accent does not do your wonderful valley any justice. <laughs> Before we get to today's story, let's go over the review of the week. So this week's review comes from EOL Manson via Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review is titled Absolutely Amazing. This podcast has so much information and support for women farmers. I have been dreaming of starting a small organic farm for years. I hit a roadblock last year and now am eager and ready to learn all I can pick up where I left off in farming. I stumbled upon this podcast through Pinterest. There are many wonderful women who are in agriculture and it is so encouraging. Thank you for putting this together. It is so helpful for first-generation farmers like myself. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating, review, and words over on Apple Podcasts. I really thoroughly appreciate each and every one of them. Not only do your reviews get read, on an upcoming episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, but this also helps the story of women in agriculture go further out into the podcast universe and get into the ears of many more people. Head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review, and I will be happy to share it on an upcoming episode. And like the review said, I'm over on Pinterest. So if you guys are on Pinterest and you like pins about goats and gardening and food, those seem to be like my main pins these days. You can head on over to Pinterest and find me under at Wild Rose Farmer. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Alicia. Alicia. 
Hi, Alicia. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I'm so happy to have you on the Rural Woman podcast today. I'm glad to be here too. Thank you. Yeah. So for our listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us a bit about who you are and where you're from. So my name is Alicia Parsons Lushington. I grew up in rural Nova Scotia in a in an area with um, you know lots of woods and and fields and dairy farms around and horse farms, I guess. And uh, I've uh, made my home as an adult in the Muscadab Valley in a little community called Myers Grant. And um, yeah, so I work for the provincial government and the Department of Agriculture and a crown corporation called the Nova Scotia Crop and Livestock Insurance Commission. And uh, I work pretty hard here as well in my uh, community as a kind of a community organizer and chairperson of our community center. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of who I am, I guess. You wear many hats, it sounds like. I try. Yes. <laughs> and we'll get into more of those hats as we go along here. So Great. how did you get your start in agriculture? Well, I guess uh, I actually talked to a couple classrooms of children last week and uh, had to explain some of this to them. So I'm thinking back to that uh, when I was about four years old, I decided I was going to be a veterinarian. So as I went through my kind of childhood and high school life, I volunteered at a vet clinic. We lived next door to a dairy farm, so I was there pretty much every evening at milking time. Very interested. Uh, I went through 4-H and I did dairy calf and I did light horse project and I did uh, vet science project and and basically had my life planned out to be a veterinarian and when the time came I graduated from high school and I only applied for one place to do pre-vet at the Nova Scotia Agricultural College as it was called at the time and I got in and I got there and I was in my first year of studies and I kind of looked around and I thought, uh, there's a lot of stuff out here in agriculture that I had been ignoring my whole life. I didn't even really know about. And after my first year, I switched to um, pest management, which is um, insects, weeds and diseases of agricultural crops. And uh, I've been kind of doing plant stuff ever since. So basically, um, then I, I had education in agriculture and uh, summer jobs and my first kind of jobs or whatever were in agriculture and crop scouting and um, research and those kind of things. And uh, yeah, that's how I got to be in the agricultural kind of career that I have now, the start. For sure. If you've been listening to the Rural Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins, and the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So you always wanted to be a vet. What was it about the veterinary school that you kind of had overlooked before and figured out that this wasn't for you? 
I don't know if it was so much like, I mean, I guess I could picture myself being a vet in some ways. I mean, I enjoyed working at a vet clinic. I always loved animals. So as a child, like we'd always be finding something that had to be brought home and saved. You know, we'd have a little squirrel or a rabbit or a I don't even know what, anything we could possibly find, raccoons, stuff like that, that that we decided needed our help, whether they did or not. So that just seemed like what I needed to do. And I loved animals. But I think it was more the whole wide awakening of what else was out there that really interested me. So my mom and dad were gardeners. They always had a garden. We always had, you know, a little homestead kind of set up. And so when I was learning more about plants, it just really more spoke to me. Very cool. So tell us about your current career and the path that got you to where you are today. Okay. So it wasn't a very straight path, but I think that that can add interest and and I don't have any regrets about the path I took. When I graduated from university and I had this um, degree in a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with a major in Pest Management, I basically started looking for work. And so I was applying for kind of any job that seemed like I might be qualified for. And the first opportunity that I really had was with, interestingly enough, the Nova Scotia Crop and Livestock Insurance Commission, which is where I work today. I started there as a field agent. And so what we would do is we would do inspections on um, growers' crops. We would do measurements and this kind of thing on crop yields, like GPS measurements of field sizes and that kind of thing when people had insurance claims. And I I enjoyed that. Then when my first year was over, there was a major restructuring in the Department of Agriculture and um, about 100 people, I think, were terminated because of the restructuring. And not the job that I was in, but because I was so new, I was kind of bumped out of my position. And so I had to go look for, you know, some kind of employment. And I ended up working for a bank as an agricultural banker, business banker. And I really hated it. And I know people have rewarding careers with banks, but it was not for me. And uh, and I really didn't want to be in that situation. So I was talking to my dad about kind of what my plan was, how I was going to deal with the situation I found myself in. And he said, you know, I always thought that you should be a lawyer. And I said, what? And my dad was in law enforcement. And uh, I said, well, I never really thought about that, but that's kind of interesting. So I started reading up about it and I was like, oh yeah, that, that could be kind of interesting. And I applied to law school and I got in. So I was going to law school. So I went for three years to law school. I did summer jobs at a, you know, at a law firm and I articled at a law firm. And uh, I was pretty sure I did not want to practice law, but I also didn't want to sell myself short and maybe never know for sure whether I should have taken that path. So I did article at a law firm and worked there for a year, which confirmed that I really didn't want to be, you know, in a courtroom or, um, you know, doing wills and and stuff for people or or business law. And what I was really interested in doing was going back to agriculture in some way with this new skill set that might kind of be useful in, in some sort of way. And I wasn't exactly sure what that was. So I got a job after articling with the province of Nova Scotia, a full time kind of you know, bargaining unit position or whatever you 
want to call it. And uh, I ended up working for a place called Labor Standards, which is where the place that makes kind of all the laws about the minimum standards of employment for people. And I worked as a decision maker there where people would um, come in if they felt that they had been mistreated by an employer. And then we would look at the case and try to negotiate with both sides and come up with a decision as to what would happen next. And I worked at that for a couple of years. And then a job opened up at the Nova Scotia Crop and Livestock Insurance Commission. And it was for the person who does the regulations, like regulatory changes, and and because crop insurance is a quite regulatory heavy kind of organization. And I looked at it and I said, well, I really liked working there before, and it's in agriculture, and it's in um, a community that I want to kind of be near. And so I uh, so I applied and I and I got that job, and I've been there ever since. My job has evolved a little bit over the years, but basically that's the kind of work I'm doing. Um, if there's producers or a group of producers who are interested in a new kind of crop to be insured that hasn't been insured yet, then I'm the person that they kind of meet with. So I do those industry consultations. I draft some of the uh, regulatory kind of language that goes along with new plans. And then I work at all the other people in the province that get their hands in that. I work at sort of explaining what we're trying to do and getting it through all that process. So there can be a new regulation that allows a new industry to be insured. And also with our existing plans of insurance, any changes that take place to that, I also uh, manage those. And then because we're such a small province and we don't have, you know, a whole bunch of employees, I also do work like, um, setting premium rates and prices. So I do the work on that to make recommendations to our board of directors so that we can have some of that information that goes into the plan before, you know, it's rolled out to clients each year. And, and uh, yeah, so a little bit of a jack of all trades there, but it's really rewarding. And uh, I've been at it for over 10 years now, and uh, I don't have any plans to find my way out of there anytime soon. So. That's wonderful. See, I told you guys, Alicia wears a lot of hats. Like that's a lot of things, Alicia, that you've accomplished. It's been an interesting experience. And and, uh, I don't think it hasn't, like I said, it wasn't a straight line to get there, but everything was uh, rewarding and a lesson to be learned for sure. That's awesome. And on top of all of that, you were also a homesteader. So tell us about your homestead and what you grow and raise there. Okay, so we have a little homestead. It's not, I have visions of, you know, us producing everything we need to consume. And, and it, we're definitely not, and we it comes and goes in waves. So we'll do a whole lot and then we'll sort of say, oh my gosh, we don't have time for this. And we'll do a whole lot less and then it'll ramp up again. So, so we're not consistent in any way, shape or form. We don't hold ourselves to any um, obligations to do this or that thing. And we just kind of try to do what feels right at the time. So about, uh, I think, 12 years ago, maybe, my husband and I decided to build a new home and we bought a 100 acre old farm and uh, we built a house kind of right in the middle of it. And we started from there. So we started with, and I should interrupt myself and say, so we both grew up rurally. We both grew up with a garden and chickens and pigs and that kind of stuff. So we knew that we had some interest in that department, but really I'm the driving force and he's the worker. Like I do, I have all the bright ideas about what we should do next. And then usually he ends up having to do most of the work when I'm uh, at work at, you know, at my, my day job. And, and uh, he's the one that 
makes a lot of this happen. And he calls himself a reluctant farmer or a reluctant homesteader. So, <laughs> But I, I'm not reluctant at all. Every time I think about something new, I say, maybe we can do that when I retire. But we started out with um, some chickens. Our oldest son kind of wanted to have some homesteading experience too. And, and we really wanted that for him. So we bought 30 laying hens, baby chicks, raised those. And uh, we've had our own little flock of laying hens ever since. And it varies from like, you know, some years we're down to 15 or 16 or 17 through the winter. And then other years there's, you know, 35 or 36. But so it's a little flock of laying hens. We've had goats before. My older son had goats for 4-H. My husband says no more goats ever again. But, uh, you know, they're very sweet. And, and uh, that was an experiment. We've had pigs uh, different times. Like, so we would just buy little wiener pigs and then raise them for ourselves for the for our meat for the year um, we have meat birds sometimes we always have guinea hens around here somewhere as we live in an area that has a lot of ticks and uh, the guinea hens are really great for that the chickens are good too but the guinea hens are real specialists at that kind of thing I had a milk cow I don't need more and it was just it's a lot of work but I will definitely have a cow again someday so I raised her from I got her when she was seven days old a little um, Jersey milking shorthorn cross and I raised her and had her through two full lactations she never, ever became a very happy milk cow. She loved to be out in the pasture and see people and get scratches and get love from people. But when it came to being in the milking stanchion, she was never very happy. And so eventually, between the work and the fact that my young son was getting older and wanting to be in the barn and, and she was a little bit unpredictable and so on, I decided not to have her here anymore. And uh we ended that phase of our homestead, but uh, like I said, I will definitely have a cow again when I retire. We've had, I'm trying to think, that might be it for Anne. Oh, I've had ducks. I really like ducks. They're so sweet. Their temperament is so sweet compared to everything else, but uh, they're a lot of mess too. So on and off, I'll get ducks and then I'll say, oh, you know, these guys are such a mess to keep through the winter. They make more mess than 30 chickens put together, th these three ducks. So then I'll kind of stop having ducks for a little while, but then I'll get ducks again. So, And then I have a garden, and uh, it's just a small what I can manage on my own, you know, with a full-time job. And I do uh, kind of a no-work, no-till, no-weeding kind of garden. Um, I use the Ruth Stout method of hay mulching and so I just um, apply like thick layers of hay and we open up where I want to plant and basically everything else is mulched and we have a pretty good block with, with what we grow which is you know just the usual I try to grow a few interesting varieties of tomatoes I grow cucumbers for pickling I grow potatoes and carrots and sugar snap peas those are my youngest son's favorite we grow herbs I grow some asparagus, I grow garlic, anything I really want to try, I'll give it a try, but I try to limit myself to just growing things I know will eat because otherwise um, it's a lot of work for no, no uh, reward, I guess. And then I have a little greenhouse that's attached to my garden as well, and we built that out of old windows that a, that a neighbor gave me. And uh, I have a raised bed in there. And then I have uh, some shelves where I start some plants. And I have a little wood stove for when we have a surprise um, 
you know, cold night in the spring and a little sink in there where I can kind of do some work and I pot over there and so on. And uh, yeah, and in there last year we grew cantaloupes. My husband likes cantaloupes and he didn't know you could grow them here. So I don't really like them that much, but that was our new experiment uh, for last year and it was kind of fun. And uh, I grow Swiss chard and kale and stuff in there like through the winter. And um, yeah, I guess. So a little bit of everything and anything we're interested in, we just give it a try. That's very cool. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's a little bit of everything, which I think yep. is so wonderful. The Rural Woman Podcast is supported by Local Line. Who is Local Line? They're an e-commerce platform for farms and local food suppliers so you can sell online and save time managing your business. They also have a completely free website builder that you can use without even having a local line account. Here are some great tips the experts from Local Line shared for helping your online store generate sales. First, have a catchy and consistent branding. Your brand should match your products and be easily identified as yours. Second, complete your about section so you can share your unique business story to current and future customers. What sets you apart from everyone else? Your customers want to know. Third, product descriptions are really important. Make sure they're descriptive and include keywords like organic, grass-fed, or gluten-free if it's applicable. And lastly, include pictures. 75% of shoppers rely on photos when deciding whether to purchase, and 63% say images are more important than product descriptions. These tips are more than just great suggestions. They actually work. River Bell Market Garden in Dresden, Ontario, increased their sales by 42% the year they started using Local Line. So stop using phone calls and a notebook to manage your fulfillment and get yourself set up with a website and an online store. Instead of their standard seven-day free trial, Local Line is offering listeners of the Rural Woman podcast a 30-day free trial of their software and a free premium feature with your first year subscription. Visit go.localline.ca slash ruralwoman to get started. That's go dot localline.ca slash rural woman and start taking control of your business. So again, with all of the hats that you wear, Alicia, it's hard to keep up to you. You also have a wonderful little community hall called Myers Grant Community Hall that you and your husband are a part of. So tell us more about that. Okay. So I think five, maybe eight years ago, so there's been a community hall in Myers Grant for a very long time. I came here 17 or 18 years ago, but my husband grew up here and it's always been here during his lifetime. And there was a previous hall on the same property that was there for many, many, many years before that. So it's it's been a central part of the community. Many years ago, the county that we live in was amalgamated. So we now live in a place called the Halifax Regional Municipality. So it was the city and the rural area were amalgamated into one um, kind of entity. And during that time, we had a volunteer fire department and there were some changes. And this building that belonged to the volunteer fire department became basically owned by the community through a series of, of events. And there were a few things going on there, but I know like when my older son was growing up, he's 22 now, there wasn't a whole lot going on for young people in the community that way. 
as he got older, there were definitely some attempts at some a youth group, and there was some pretty cool stuff going on, but kind of ebbs and flows in communities. So with some changes that occurred a few years ago, my husband and some other folks basically formed a committee and took over the operation of the hall. And they did a lot of work on trying to find out what they wanted, you know, the hall to be there for, like what it was going to do for the community. And I had a one-year-old or a two-year-old or something at home, so I wasn't involved. And as he got a little bit older, I then kind of decided to get involved a bit more and I had a bit more time. And I ended up joining the board And the work that they had been doing was really great. And there were things happening all the time there. And we live really close to the hall, actually, like just a kilometer or two away. And so we were there, you know, quite a bit and trying to, like, support what any of the events were and also trying to sort of figure out what people wanted and what people would attend and so on. And so then after a couple of years of that, my husband really wanted to step down as the chairperson of that organization And so I took on that role. And so from that point on, I basically have been working at trying to just keep that momentum going. There's a lot of really great volunteers involved. And with my kind of background, which is more like in the kind of government realm, I had a lot of experience with like kind of team building and that type of motivation and and organizational um, skills and so on. And so we tried to identify what the core values of the group was and the core values of the community and then like build from that. And then we try to look at sort of events that we've put on and, and what's been successful and what hasn't and so on. And so basically we have this building and, you know, it's pretty great. It's one of the bigger buildings, I think, in the whole valley where you can kind of rent a space to do whatever it is that you rent a community space for. But then we also try to put on a lot of programming and uh, we do things like once a month, we have a meal there. And so for the f- quite a few years, we did the meal every month. We would um, kind of plan a meal, put it on. You know, we're a very tiny community, by the way, but anywhere from kind of 40 to 75 people would come on Friday night to this TGIF that we run. And uh, they'd have a meal, chat and kind of hang out. And And one of the things that I was noticing is that with my older son, where he didn't really know a lot of the people in the community. He knew the kids he went to school with, he knew their parents and so on. But like a lot of people not in his generation, he didn't really know them unless they were our next door neighbor. My younger son, who's now almost 10, he knows everybody in the community. So he knows people who are newborn babies and who their parents are. He knows all the kind of kids that go to school and their parents. And then he knows all the people that are, you know, the retirees of the community you know, my husband's dad and his generation, they all know my son and he knows them too. So, I mean, I think it's beginning to show me that we are creating something where the community is being kind of pulled in together a bit more. So, like this TJF is one of the things. We started to realize that our small group of board members, which is not really small considering we have, I think, 13 board members right now. So, I mean, that's a pretty healthy group, but we were getting tired. And every week or every month we were putting on a meal, we're never sitting down and enjoying it and talking to people. So we were creating this thing for other people, but not for ourselves. So we started to brainstorm about what we could do about that. And we opened it up to community groups and said, you know, if you guys want to put on the meal, we'll 
kind of rent you the kitchen for free and you guys do it. So they have a chance, a community group has a chance to make a few dollars, you know, maybe 200 to $500 or something on putting on a meal on a Friday night. But our group who's worked at making this happy and getting that kind of getting those community members there so that there's somebody to feed, we get to sit down and kind of enjoy what we've created. So that's worked really well. We're really happy with that. That's very cool. And we were chatting a little bit about this before we started interviewing. And one of my questions for you is what value does Myers Grant Community Hall bring to your community? But you've just said it all right there. It is the value (laughs) of bringing all of these people together and being in community face to face with one another because rural America or rural Canada is a big place. And for you to have one small space to come together, like that's a big deal. So that is a very cool initiative that you guys have product yeah i think it is too you know i read articles and they say well community is now online or community is at your work or or this kind of thing and and it is true i mean i have online friends that i've had for 15 years met in person we have very similar values and interests and our kids are the same age or, or whatever the reason that we met online a subject matter right they're they're my subject matter communities And that's true, and I value them a lot. But there's a lot to be said for knowing that if something happened and I was at work and I couldn't get home and my son has to get off the school bus and there's nobody going to be here to meet him, that I know 10 people I can call and they would drop whatever they were doing to be there for us. And we would for them too. And it's just because we're here in the same community and we have enough of the same values that we have banded together like to form a community. So it's a bit more what communities were like, I think maybe in the past. And I also think that we have a lot of people now moving into the community. I think at one time, these small communities were just family members that were from here. And there's a lot of people that are making a conscious decision that they don't want to live in the towns or the cities and they're coming out to places like where we live where we we're still a 45 minute commute into the city so people can live here and travel to work and so for those people that have chosen this as their home but don't have a father-in-law up the road like I do they have a community too right because there's a way for them to meet everybody and to become part of the community Absolutely. That's wonderful. It sounds so beautiful. I want to come live in your community. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. (laughs) Very cool. Alicia, it has been so amazing getting to know you and all of the many hats that you hang up at the end of the day. What do you think is the most rewarding part about being a homesteader and a woman in agriculture? I mean, from a personal perspective, I mean, being a homesteader is very rewarding because I'm eating the food that I've grown, that I have a sense of pride about and that I know where it came from and, you know, know your farmer and that that kind of thing. But that's kind of a very personal side of it. The other side in general about being a woman in agriculture or being a rural woman, I think that like for me, because I'm 45 and I've been in agriculture uh, my whole working career pretty much, like I find it really rewarding to be able to just kind of be there if there's a younger person that's not quite sure how this works or where they fit in. And not that I consider myself a huge role model, but just to be available because 
when I started in kind of a, a career that didn't have women as the main, you know, contributors to when I started, you know, it was all men around me. And I was very lucky the way that I was treated most of the men. I worked with some really wonderful men that were, you know, they might not have known it, but they were very much of feminists because they made this possible for me to be my best self. But there's a lot of young people I find that when they get into that community or they get into the workspace and they say like, you know, I'm talking and everybody's looking to my husband to see what he thinks or or I'm talking and they're looking at the the man who works for me to, for his opinion. And do you think that could be because he's a man? And, uh, you know, and it makes me feel really proud to be able to answer and say, you know, that stuff kind of happened to me when I started too. And, and you just need to speak up and make sure that they understand you really do know what you're talking about. And, and there's absolutely no reason that a woman shouldn't be able to do everything that a man can do. And a man can do everything that we can do. And you'd be there for those younger people to kind of see that that is possible. You can, you know, you can choose your career and, and you can excel at it. Absolutely. Very well said. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for joining me today on the Rural Women Podcast. For my listeners who would like to stay in contact with you after the show, where can they connect with you online? Okay, so we have a Facebook page for the Myers Grant Community Hall. So anyone that's local or close to local, that's definitely the place to find out what's happening in the community um, because there's always something. For me personally, I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of an open book. So uh, like I said, my name is Alicia Parsons Lushington, and I have never, ever seen a person with the same name as me. So uh, if you look that up on Facebook, there I am, and I'm pretty uh, open to anybody. I have lots of super cool photos of pretty much everything that we do in terms of, you know, our greenhouse, our garden, our animals and, and that. So I welcome people to get in touch with me there. That's awesome. And I will put those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alicia. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.